So a value company is a company who's trading at or below its net worth. So if it failed and then the company's trade is trading below the net worth, a lot of times that means that the investors actually profit when the company goes bankrupt. Because in selling off all the assets and paying the debts, you have this great return because uh, it was worth more than, than you bought it for. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. We are both bald. We are both bearded. We enjoy horrible puns. Those are the first disclosures. Next disclosure is this program is called The Personal Wealth Coach. Wait, I already told you that, didn't I? Well, that's a disclosure. Yeah. Well, it's also the name of the firm that employs the two bald guys, uh, or at least unemploys them, something like that. Um, that is not coincidental. The SEC-registered firm is The Personal Wealth Coach. The radio program is performed by the people that registered the firm. Well, that's really, really amazing. Um, why do I tell you all of that? Because well, just as a side note, the program predates the firm by quite a long time. Um, I'm telling you that because we're required to at the firm, we're registered to give fiduciary advice and we can't do that on the radio, but we're still required to tell you who we are and who regulates us. Because if we say something really stupid, well, that's most of what we say. If we say something really illegal, you should be able to contact them. And tell them who we are and why we said these horrible things on the air. Uh, so they have not given us any form of attaboy, girl, thumbs up, pat on the head, uh, any of that stuff by registering with them. It is simply the authority under which we fall. <sighs> we don't pay for this radio program. It's not a paid commercial program. Um, but we also can't give advice on it. So we're not paying for it and we can't give it. What is this thing? This is some sort of, well, it's educational and we're not being fiduciaries to any of the listening audience right now. We're being educators. Uh, so we're trying to teach you how to make good decisions. We don't know you all. Maybe we do. Maybe there's only a couple of you. Maybe there's none of you out there. If that's the case, then we could be giving advice on the air all the time, but it'd be to nobody. And then it wouldn't be private. So nobody might get upset because it would be publicly to all the people Has that anybody ever told listening. you you're weird? Uh, yes, I have been told that a few times. I'm an economist. That's like, uh, it's a redundant statement to say that we're weird. It's just, it's like politicians and, and ethics or honesty. They are oxymorons, but you know. I think you're more of an economist. Yes. Um, so, so we're eco-warriors. Just And when we say we fight for green, we're not talking about that eco. It's oh, the other eco, the econ. I was talking about I was talking about Kahneman. You're an economist. Ah, yes, I get that. I get that. Kahneman's a Nobel Prize winning economist, and it just shows that we're still weird because we're making puns with names that nobody else knows about. So we told you we prefer horrible puns to good ones. That was that requires us to disclose it multiple times. You've got a disclosure to give as well. Hey, we're dads. We're dads. We are, and therefore, by definition, every joke we give is a dad joke. Yeah. It's just, well, it's right there. I have my favorite disclosure and disclaimer. Yes. Which is it, which is 
that the information we present on this educational radio program or internet program, as the case may be, has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. Very well done, sir. Uh, so in the middle of all of that, we have a pertinent question for what we've just been talking about from Inquisitor John. And uh, his question is, can you address the dividend stocks outperforming during economic slowdown? Are these primarily the staple companies that everyone still buys their products regardless of the economy? Um, and he's got a little section of the article that's circled that says, the tide could shift again. Dividend-paying stocks tend to outperform when entering an economic slowdown. Um, do you want to handle that one? It's a, it's a good one? Or do you want me to say it? You can crank on it. Uh, okay. may add something to it. Well, you hit the staple on the head um, with the hammer. I'm going to mix that one up. When you said, are these primarily the staple companies that everyone still buys their products regardless of the economy? There's two kind of big sectors of the stock market that we can point out. And people throw out these words as jargon all the time, growth and value. It's rarely explained what that means. The way you can tell if a company is a growth company or a value company has a lot to do with a lot of stuff. Are they trying to grow or are they just trying to maintain? There's a bunch of like intent questions. But then you can look at how the market is valuing them. So internally, they might say, we are definitely a growth company or we're a growth company, but we're going to maintain as well. Externally, those of us that are investing in the market look at a company and decide for ourselves and give the definition based in the price. Uh, in the stock market, because we try to make things as confusing as possible for those of you that don't check the stock market very often, we use a word or a couple of words that have completely different meanings from the words that are used outside the market. Uh, so it, outside the market, if you have... Uh, a net worth, it's all of your assets minus all of your liabilities, all your loans. That makes sense. Most people know what that means. In the stock market, you also have net worths, but we don't call them that. We'll call them a book value or a total equity, just to confuse the public. That's the only reason. A value company is a company whose net worth is at or below, or I'm sorry, at or above what the market is valuing that company. So if the stock market says this company's worth $10 billion, how do we know that? Well, you take all their shares times their share price. That's called the market cap. Uh, this is the size that the stock market has said this company is. So when people talk about um, Elon Musk's net worth and they say he's worth some gigantic number with a lot, a lot of zeros, it's because they're looking at the market cap of Tesla and the estimated market cap of SpaceX and his percent ownership in it. It doesn't mean he has that much money. It means the stuff he owns is worth that much. Okay, so a value company is a company who's trading at or below its net worth. So if it failed and then the company tra is trading below the net worth, a lot of times that means that the investors actually profit when the company goes bankrupt. Because in selling off all the assets and paying the debts, you have this great return because uh, it was worth more than, than you bought it for. Okay, so that's a value company. A growth company, the market's valuing it not at all based on its net worth. Tesla, I mentioned that a minute ago, its book value is about 10% 
of what the market is valuing the company. Well, why are they doing that? If they go bankrupt, their people are going to get one-tenth or less on their dollar. Why would you ever do that? Well, because the people that are buying Tesla have an expectation for growth. They expect Tesla to be reaching for the stratosphere, inventing new things that we've never had before, whatever that might be. Eventually, the company tends to mature and stops making grand new things, fills up the market with the things that they invented, and become a value company over long, long periods of time. So um, who pays dividends? Dividends are companies that aren't trying to reinvest every dollar they make into a new product. So almost by definition, they're not a growth company. Sometimes they are, but growth companies that pay dividends. What's a dividend first? Let's, let's take a step back. Uh, if you own a company, a small company, and it's doing well, and you haven't been taking a salary from the thing because you own it, you don't work in it, but you, you, you say it's a car dealership. You bought the car dealership, you hired the managers, you gave them goals and said, this is the profit range I want you to work toward. Go for it. And they're profitable. Now, you could take that money in the profit and reinvest it by another dealership or more cars to sell. Or you could say, hey, I've been reinvesting in this for a long time. I'd like to take some money out. That's a dividend. You got paid from the profit of the company that you own. There's some tax difficulties involved there. We won't get into that, but that's what that is. Companies that are paying dividends tend to not be trying to start new enterprises. Growth companies tend to be selling you something that um, you didn't know you needed three years ago. So in a downturn in the economy, if you didn't need it three years ago, you probably could do without it today. So growth companies tend to not do as well in a down economy. There's definite exceptions. The iPhone came out in the middle of the global financial crisis. And Apple did ex exceedingly well as a growth company. If they come up with a product that everybody says, no, I really do need this, even though I didn't know I needed it, they'll still buy it. So when we say, when you know, history shows that dividend stocks tend to do better during downturns, it's because they're the ones that are maintaining profitability, as, as John said, is it because they're selling you the staples that you use all the, all the time? Yeah, sure, like uh, General Mills is a company. We're not recommending you go buy any stocks. These are some examples, Tesla, Apple. General Mills is not trying to get you to eat nine bowls of cereal a day. They would like it if you ate more, but they're really not trying to knock the ball out of the park with some new kind of cereal, which will convince people that never ate cereal before to come and eat cereal. There was a time that that existed. When Kellogg first started, there was this massive wave of growth in cereal companies. They were growth companies. And Post came along after. There's all kinds of drama in this whole thing. Family feuds, religious counter arguments. It looks a lot like the drama between Twitter and, and Meta right now of, oh, these are feuds and you're using our stuff. And no, you're not. In a, it's growth companies. They fight over the new invention until it becomes a mature thing. And then they say, hey, we're not trying to convince someone who's never eaten Cheerios to eat Cheerios at this point. We just are trying to sell Cheerios. So they pay dividends out instead of trying to make new lines of cereal. Addressing your question, uh, it's a 
John, that was a good question. It's one I asked several years ago and did a lot of research on. Dividend stocks are paying out part of their profits to their shareholders. It's that simple. And during periods of very, very low bond interest rates like we had in the recent past, a lot of dividend stocks were paying more interest than bonds were. So people tended to like them. The problem with choosing dividend stocks is sometimes stocks have high dividends because their price is abnormally low and they're paying a fixed dollar amount. And as their price goes down, the dividend percentage goes up. And sometimes that artificially low price is because the company is failing. It's still paying out dividends, but it's headed downhill. It's in bad shape. The classic example of that is U.S. leather. That's a great one. Which at the beginning of the 20th century, in the early years of the 20th century, was in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It was considered to be the best stock for widows and orphans. It was the number one energy transmission company on the planet, U.S. leather. And if you have questions about that, we can answer that too. (laughs) They were very profitable and they were paying out lots of dividends and they were considered solid because, I mean, literally leather had been used to pull vehicles and to drive machines for hundreds of years. The belts on all the machines, all that energy transmission was made out of leather. And even the soles of your shoes and the upper parts of your shoes were always made out of leather. Well, of course, times moved on and things other than leather began to use, be used to transmit energy. And it is the only member of the Dow Jones Industrial Average uh, that I know of that failed. No, I think it was, I think uh, there was another one. Uh, it was either Montgomery Wards or, yeah, I think it was Wards, failed without somebody taking it over. In other words, it, the stock went to zero and it's still there. <clears throat> so, no, well, U.S. Leather as a company was purchased by, I think Stetson bought it, um, but only as the name. The company itself yeah. is gone. But the, the stock virtually disappeared. It right. Just, the value, if you had the shares, they're nice as a memento, but they're worthless. Now, so finding high dividend stocks that are good investments is quite a drill. And during periods of high economic growth, we're in one, high dividends generally significantly suggest, well, that was a lot of modifiers in there, that the company doesn't have anything better to do with this money. In other words, there are companies that are paying tiny, like four-tenths of 1%. Uh, I think Apple is paying four-tenths of 1% dividend. They're, they're little, they're dividend companies that are paying out tiny amounts of dividends, I think just so they can say they're paying out dividends. But they're busy investing most of their money in something that probably will be profitable going forward. So it was a time when a high dividend stock in a, in a more or less static economy, when the economy was growing slowly and there weren't a lot of innovations and there was not a lot of new inventions changing everything. 1950s and 60s are the, immediately popped to mind uh, when a high dividend stock was preferable. We had low inflation. Uh, so if a stock is paying a high dividend, uh, it's very valuable. Now, if you go back to classic stock investment theory from Benjamin Graham, he wouldn't own a stock that didn't pay a high dividend. Uh, because he thought that company's profits should be returned to the shareholders. But Benjamin Graham wrote his book during a period of, if anything, negative innovation in the economy. Uh, and we're not there now. So it's not. there's no simple answers to this, but high dividend does not necessarily equal good. It can, but it does not necessarily equal good. Go ahead. I wanted to come back. You were correct, and I was correct, and we were both wrong, too, uh, oh. about U.S. leather. So we'll get some quick uh, 
backfill here. It was the number one U.S. Uh, it was the number one transmission of energy company on the planet, no doubt about it. In 1952, the company was liquidated. The only company of the original 12 in the Dow to do so as of the date of this writing. So that's you were correct. Um, the the name was purchased from a company that purchased. So Kata Gas bought the name U.S. Leather and wound up selling it later to Stetson, but it was for a small amount of money. Um, but they liquidated the company. And it was one, it was, and you said it's the only one in the Dow, it was only one of the original 12 to be liquidated. There are some others that have happened since then, but the original 12. And stock investing, frankly, is very, very, very difficult. It's very, very, very hard work. I can tell you that back when I was a stockbroker, our firm would put out a list of preferred stocks that we were, that we were supposed to tell our clients were the ones they ought to buy, which is the way brokerage systems still work today. And I decided to keep a record of that and was noting every time they said buy a stock and writing it into a spreadsheet and saying, okay, I bought this stock. If I theoretically bought this stock today, it would cost this much. I'd pay this much in brokerage commission. So here's my investment. And I followed that for a couple of years and realized, whoa, these guys are paid a lot of money to recommend the stocks that we ought that ought to be bought. In other words, from my perspective as a broker, which is really a security salesman, I was supposed to tell my clients to buy these. I was supposed to sell those stocks to my clients. And I looked at their performance over that period of time, and it was terrible. Uh, and I compared it at that point to a mutual fund that I happened to kind of like at the time, and I thought highly of the man who ran it. I won't say what it is. Uh, and the mutual fund had done a heck of a lot better. And I thought to myself, is it the best thing in the world for my clients to be buying the, the, the stocks that have a lot to recommend them, a good story, paying dividends? I also used value line during that period of time, which had a tendency to uh, focus on dividend paying stocks and say, this is where you should be buying your stocks. And then value line, I didn't track the value line performance, but value line became so convinced by their own propaganda that they opened a mutual fund where they bought the stocks that value line, the big book recommended each month. And it's not around anymore for a very good reason. It was a horrible performer. The issue is when you look at buying stocks, you are in competition with very highly paid organizations that have a lot of really smart people with really good educations, in many cases, 20 or more years of experience in doing this. And they're picking stocks and you're picking stocks and you're competing with them. It's rather like taking a bunch of guys who have a touch football team in their neighborhood and going up against an NFL football team on the playing field. Uh, the outcome for the guys from the neighborhood will probably not be good. And so we don't mess around with stocks anymore. I am tempted from time to time. I look at that and say, wow, that's oh, a, oh yeah, sure. We tend to be diversified in stocks rather than picking individuals. Yeah. We use, we use mutual funds and we look for the mutual fund managers who, uh, Look like, and Morningstar is real good at, at telling us which of those is, they have a medalist rating and their medalist ratings are based on, and the higher the rating, the more likely their analysts say this particular fund will outperform the category it's in and the index that it's following. And the probabilities of that is in their medalist rating. And that is our starting point when we put investments together. And anyway, so dividend stocks can be anything. There can be any reason in the world for having high dividend stocks. Yeah. The most common reason is they're just 
trying to give profits to their shareholders. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. the reason why you have a, a dividend stock. But the the most common kind are ones that are profitable and not trying to grow. There's a lot of growth companies that pay tiny dividends. Um, do you have more to say on the subject? One more thing. There are companies that are quite profitable, quite well run, still growing, and still pay a fairly high dividend. Now, you have to find those uh, when there there are many mutual fund, several mutual fund managers who've been pretty good at it and some that have failed miserably at doing that. But the plus to those is when the market goes down, this is when it pays off to have the good ones in the portfolio. When the market goes down a lot, let's say a stock was paying a 3% dividend, which is really unusually high, but let's say they're paying a 3% dividend and the market drops 50% and that stock drops 50% too. At that point, if it continues to pay its dividend, which in some cases they do, you now have a 6% dividend. So somebody is willing to pay you 6%. And normally when the market drops, not now, but in his historic norm is when the market drops, interest rates come down. So let's say interest rates across the board have gone down to 1% or 2%. And you've got a stock over here of a company that's very profitable, has plenty of cash on hand, and is making things that people use all the time, and they use whether they're in a recession or not, and it's will pay you 6% to own it. That kind of stock after the bottom in a bear market tends to come back faster than the other stocks. Because, because simply, people are buying it because it's paying a high dividend. Yeah. And so there's value in having high dividend stocks sometimes, but not always. Go ahead. I want to throw something out there that has very little to do with economics, but is absolutely fascinating to me. Okay. I bet we can tie it to economics somehow. I don't even know what it is. The governor of Wisconsin. Have you heard about what he did with his veto? This this is amazing. And it's only available in the cheese state. Yes. and, And what happens is the governor can veto part of a bill rather than having to veto the whole thing. And it takes the same super majority in the legislature to override his veto. And they're narrowly divided. He happens to be a Democrat and legislature's primarily Republican. So they are not in agreement on a lot of things. So what happens, the Republicans increase school funding by $325 per student for two years. So each year will go up $325 per student. And in the, uh, so Wisconsin had a $7 billion surplus. So Governor Evers wanted to make sure schools are to be taken care of, not just the two years of the school, the extra money. So instead of uh, the budget saying the increase in school funding will end in 2024-25, comma, Evers slashed some numbers in a hyphen, making the end date 2425. That's a year. Right. Instead of 2024-25. years in the f- future. Right. Uh, he moved, removed a couple of digits and made it 2425. So instead of two years, it ends in 402 years. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. I think everybody <laughs> thinks it's hilarious. I'm, I'm wondering, wondering how much validity will be there in the future for it because well, the next legislature, I'm $325 sure is $325 won't amount to a hill of beans, no, but, not, but you know, a little bit here. It's, there. it's still pretty fascinating what can happen on Un- unintended consequences of allowing what happened is for whatever it's worth, the governor uh, did not previously have that, but there was a Republican governor and a Republican legis- and, and the Democrats uh, had some control in the legislature legislature. And when the Republicans got control with a Republican governor, they gave the, they passed a bill giving the governor this ability to change legislation in the form of a veto by removing he could remove words couldn't add words but he could remove words or letters 
or whatever. And one of the things to remember is when your party happens to have power, whichever party you support in the House of Representatives or the Senate or the White House, remember when you change things that allow to do things that you want to get done and you change the rules, it will remain changed when the other party takes power. I think a lot of people miss that. Uh, they get short-sighted and they want their, uh, their, they want when their party's in power, they want to put something in place and they don't want to go through the true democratic process. So they try to take a shortcut. Presidents have been doing that for a long time and it sometimes can blow up in their faces. I just thought I'd throw that. I thought that was hilarious. That's yeah, fantastic. And we're out of time for this hour. Yes, we are. If you'd like to talk to us off the air, we've got voicemail waiting during the weekends. Uh, real live people during the, the week, uh, locally you can reach that line at... 254-947-1111. Or 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. Uh, You can see our famously made for radio faces, our wonderful staff. You can contact us through the contact form there. You can read our newsletters going back lots of years. You can sign up for the newsletter every Friday. Uh, You can listen to radio programs going back a long ways too. You can find our podcasts wherever you find them. You can email us at jeff or jake at tpwc.com.